And so this lesson is about how image bearers respond to the generosity of the king. Uh, how do we respond in light of God making us vicegerents in his kingdom? Uh, first, we have to think about how to use our energy to reflect back to him his generous rule. And then uh, we have to think about um, what it looks like to rule in generosity in his, in his kingdom. And so the big idea for us this morning is this. Uh, part of bearing God's image means we generously use our strength in obedience and worship for Christ the King and his kingdom. Uh, I'll say that again. Part of bearing God's image means we generously use our strength in obedience and worship for Christ the King and his kingdom. Uh, so again, before we get started, I want to uh, uh, remind you briefly that our mind, heart, and strength, our knowledge, love, and dominion, they all go together. Uh, we can make distinctions when it comes to the image of God, but we can't ultimately separate them uh, because divorcing them uh, makes a mess of our identity uh, as image bearers. And again, we are not meant to be divided beings. Uh, so even as we focus on strength this morning, uh, keep the mind and the heart in the background. Uh, then we can fill in some details that we otherwise can't cover. So I want to begin by asking this morning uh, this question. Why are so many people in our society suspicious of authority? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Because authority is often misused. Misuse of authority? Absolutely. It goes all the way back to the garden. What do you mean by that? Adam and Adam and Eve wanted autonomy to themselves. They didn't. That's the first sin. They wanted to uh, be autonomous. Okay. Good. We'll we'll cover that in some future lessons. I think um, as we talk about kind of what went wrong, right? What went wrong with uh, the image of God? why we are no longer uh, generous, uh, rather we become stingy. Uh, so that, keep that in the back of your heads as we, um, as we go and cover uh, future lessons. Uh, anybody else? Why do we in our society tend to question authority? There's we misuse. Want, we wanna rule ourselves. Autonomy, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess it's the same. Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. Yeah, authority has become um, a bad word in our culture. Uh, we tend to question it when we hear someone is in charge, and for good reason. Um, many in authority have misused their position of authority. Uh, in countless ways, they have abused people with their ordained offices. Corruption and injustice abound. 
Uh, no wonder people are so suspicious of authority. Uh, and maybe also because our country was started from overthrowing authority, right? Let's throw some tea in the water, or, you know, we'll show them. Uh, we began uh, um, defying the monarchy. Uh, I think that shapes us as a country, whether we're conscious, conscious of it or not. As individuals of this country, we are inclined uh, to question authority as well. And for this reason, divine kingship might seem like God is a maniacal dictator, uh, like he's just out to get us. Uh, but God as king is actually the climax of the gospel, isn't it? Uh, because Jesus' work finds its highest point in his enthronement as a king. Uh, he is now ruling and reigning. He's now seated at the right hand of God. He's now in complete and total control of everything. Uh, as Jesus said before he's taken up to heaven to his disciples, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, let's start there. Jesus is king. All authority is given to the Lord Jesus. And how we use our power and strength either says we're in submission to that reality or we are not. Uh, so let me, let me ask this additional question. Uh, what does it look like to properly uh, submit ourselves to him as king? Uh, in other words, how, how do we respond to him being our generous king? I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Now walk humbly with the Lord. Walk humbly. Absolutely. There, we, we, can't, we, can't, uh, we can't submit to the Lord as king if we are prideful, right? Because pride tells us we want to be king. We want to be in control. Anybody else? Strive to be an obedient servant. Strive to be an obedient servant. Ooh, perfect. You guys... You guys are nailing this. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and mute everyone. <clears throat> yeah, um, well, it, it looks nothing short of complete and absolute allegiance, right? Allegiance to the king. Uh, allegiance to the generous king, uh, first of all, means humility, like what John was saying. Uh, we approach him with utter lowliness, not despair, but humbleness. Uh, because as we see the king and his glory, we encounter our own unworthiness. Uh, so that's the posture we take in responding to who he is as king. Uh, do you remember Isaiah in the throne room of God? Right, He's taken up to the throne room of God. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on his throne. The Lord is high and lifted up, and the train of his robe covered the entire temple. Uh, Isaiah encountered the glory of the king. Uh, meanwhile, the seraphim are all yelling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, even more, the temple is shaking because of the Lord's voice. Uh, all this prompts Isaiah to make his famous confession. Uh, he says, 
Uh, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, Isaiah is that knight who bows in submission to the king. Uh, our allegiance to the king then starts with a posture, a humble posture. Uh, we can't serve the king. We can't have allegiance to him if we have a proud heart. Uh, but of course, allegiance to the king isn't just a posture. It has hands and feet. And this goes back to what Brent was saying about obedience. Uh, to be committed to the king is to obey the king. There are obligations that comes with our calling as his servants. Uh, go and watch any movie with a king in it. Uh, you'll see that a soldier or a servant who doesn't do the will of the king is what? Is a traitor because his or her allegiance to the king is not real. And so all true allegiance begins with doing the will of the king, uh, which as we've, as we've seen is established in righteousness. Uh, for this reason, uh, shouldn't the law have a more prominent role in our lives as followers of King Jesus? Uh, I like how the psalmist describes God's righteous rule. Uh, he says that God rules with a scepter that is upright. Uh, it's a scepter full of equity and fairness. You'll see that in Psalm 45, verse 6. Uh, I think that's cool because kings don't just have crowns, but they also have scepters. Um, it's a lost symbol to us for the most part, I think. Uh, a scepter is a symbol for one's authority and power, but it's also a weapon. It's a twofold weapon. It simultaneously protects the sheep and attacks the wolves. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews picks up on this and ascribes it to Christ, the Son of God. Uh, he writes, but the Son, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of upright, uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Uh, that's the kind of king Jesus is. He rules with a scepter of uprightness. Uh, and notice the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of Jesus's kingdom. Uh, in other words, Jesus uses his people to administer uprightness. Uh, I hope that sounds familiar to you uh, because that's, that's really our job as a church, but particularly that's the job of our elders uh, who are, quote, the kings of the church, unquote. Uh, it is their duty to lead us with uprightness uh, that all of us might follow in their suit. Uh, I think this is a good place to learn from the kings of Israel uh, because they were kings, uh, but they were ultimately co-rulers and servants under God who is the ultimate kings. Uh, listen, listen to what Moses in instructs the kings to do in Deuteronomy 17, and I'll read from verse 18 to 20 if you want to turn there with me.
he says this, and when he sits, uh, the king, on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall, shall be with him, and he shall read it read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and being and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandments, either, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Uh, notice the kings of Israel were given the task of writing and reading and reading the law. Uh, this was the command given to them by Moses. Uh, so why does, he, why does Moses give, the, give it to them? Well, so that they might internalize the law, so that the law might humble them, that they might not exalt themselves above their brothers and sisters, uh, that they might walk in God's commands. And so uh, in writing, reading, and doing the law, uh, Israel's kings will continue to rule in the kingdom of God, uh, and not only them, but also their children. Uh, you know the history of the kings of Israel. Uh, it was up and down, uh, maybe more downs than ups. But we do find faithful kings who embodied this. Uh, David, for instance, was one of those kings that loved the instructions of the Lord, the Torah. Uh, King David made this stunning declaration in, uh, from Psalm 48. Uh, I, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. And again in Psalm 18, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. And see, that's, that's a king that internalized God's law and performed them. Uh, this is to say that a king was never to place himself above the law of God. He is a servant of God's Torah, God's good instructions to the people. In fact, uh, the king was to be more strict in his observance of it. Uh, the rest of Israel were not instructed to write down the law. Uh, as one writer points out, the king takes the lead in modeling and internalizing the Torah obedience God demands from his people. Um, here's the takeaway for us, right? If the king is to keep God's instructions, then so do the people. As with the king, so goes the people. Uh, this is freight, uh, freighted with all kinds of theological implications for us, uh, so I don't want you to miss it, uh, because though we have no earthly king, we do have a heavenly king. Uh, Jesus Christ is the true enthroned king, and, and what do we find in him? Uh, he's the heavenly king who came into flesh and submitted himself fully to the law of God, to the instructions of the Lord. He came to fill full the law of God. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Why? Uh, because Jesus' food was to do the will of his Father. He, he hungered to accomplish his Father's will. And so those committed to King Jesus should have the same desire. Uh, that's the way we have to start seeing what it looks like to follow Jesus, at least part of it. Uh, we have to be starving to do God's will because he was, Jesus was. And so are we starving to obey God? Is it our desire uh, to use our strength to do his will? Um, I'm going to go ahead and unmute everybody but, uh, and, and ask this question. Does that sound burdensome to you to do God's will, to use our strength to do his will? <laughs> yes, uh, Brian, no? I would, Brian, I would say yes. Yeah. Only when we lose, when we lose um, sight of our hope and glory that we have in heaven, then it's, everything seems to be a burden. <laughs> yeah. Good. Anybody else? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone again. Yeah, I think this totally might sound very burdensome. Uh, but doing Jesus' will, God's will, is actually not meant to be burdensome. Uh, for those in Christ, not doing God's will is what's actually burdensome. Right? Because uh, those in Christ have, have this desire to do his will, and when we don't do it, we feel the weight of it. Um, what does James call it? He calls it the law of liberty, uh, James 1.25. Because when we're in union with King Jesus, then spending our energy for him and obeying God's will actually liberates us from our sin. Uh, I don't know about you, but the more I live for Christ, the more I don't live for my sin and for myself, the more I feel free uh, because laboring for the Lord takes away um, takes us away from the prison of sin and self it actually is meant to liberate us the more we do it the more it liberates us and so we need to obey the king uh, but obedience to the king then leads to doxology it leads us to praise him uh, because our obedience is incomplete if we don't worship him. Uh, sometimes the two go together in the Bible. Uh, take Psalm 45.1, for instance. Uh, Out of my heart erupts a good song. I speak my works to the king. Uh, the psalmist is addressing the king, which, by the way, he will also address as his God later in the psalm. Uh, he's, the, he's, he's addressing uh, the king at, as well as his God, two, the two go together. Uh, but notice here the psalmist's devotion. It involves a good song and works of obedience. Uh, you can't have one without the other 
in the life of someone devoted to the king. There is no, I will obey, but not worship, or I will worship, but not obey. You can't divorce the two uh, because worship completes our obedience. Uh, listen, we can obey kings. Uh, many of God's people have had to submit themselves to kings. Uh, they found themselves under earthly kings. Uh, but we can't worship kings. Uh, it, it wasn't uncommon for kings to be treated as gods in the ancient world. Uh, take Nebuchadnezzar, for example. He was the king that people in his kingdom worshipped. Uh, this was the great struggle of Israelites like Daniel and his friends uh, because they knew only the Lord, the God of Israel, is to be worshipped. He alone is the true and living God. And resistance uh, would mean the death penalty. It would mean getting your head chopped off. Uh, early Christians also faced the same struggle. Uh, they were forced to choose between worshiping Caesar or Christ. Uh, to choose to worship Christ at the cost of one's life uh, showed ultimate allegiance. Uh, you know, it's that knight uh, who will not bow uh, even when the opposing king has a sword on his neck. Uh, that's allegiance. That's faithfulness. Uh, I think this is why martyrs are so revered in the history of the church, because in them we find encouragement to remain committed to the king. Uh, worship, then, is an open acknowledgement that Christ is king, not Caesar, not state or empire, not self, but Christ. Because worship is resistance. It's an open defiance to the gods of this world um, and an expression of our allegiance to the true God. Uh, no wonder Paul instructed this uh, in Colossians 3.16. Uh, let's, let's turn there, actually. Colossians 3.16. I think this one is pretty familiar to everyone. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think this is a familiar passage, uh, but I think also... Something is often missed in this passage, and it's this, that singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, those things are connected to wisdom. In fact, praising the Lord is an act of wisdom. Uh, what do you think I mean by that? How is praising or worshiping God wisdom? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and unmute everyone. Acknowledging who God is. Uh, like singing hymns and, and, and psalms and is an acknowledgement of who he is. Yeah, that in itself is, is wisdom. Anybody else? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. 
that's sort of an acknowledgement of who he is. And... Yeah, I mean, when when we're singing our praises, like, well, what is that? that well, that's that's letting people hear that God is our King, right? Yeah, that's that's the beginning of wisdom. Anybody else before I mute everyone? All right, I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. Uh, at least in Colossians 3.16, uh, singing is a means of teaching and admonishing uh, that is to be done in all wisdom, uh, which ultimately flows from let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, in other words, praise teaches, teaches and, and urges us the word of King Jesus. I, I think we don't often think of our praise in that way, but, but praising the Lord in song uh, is, is a means of teaching us and urging us um, that the word of Christ might, might dwell richly in us, that we might walk in them, or rather that his word might dwell or live in us so that we can walk in accordance with it. Now, even more, worship is wisdom because it conforms us to the image of our king. Uh, he's shaping us to be more like him. And the more we are like him, the more we can reflect his generous rule. Uh, we become what we worship. Uh, that's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, this is why worshiping idols makes us less and less humans. Uh, listen to this to, uh, from Psalm 115. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Uh, they have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, um, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Uh, did you hear that? We who make idols, we become like them. Uh, there's this inglorious exchange that takes place. Uh, we give up the image of God for images made in our own image. Uh, it's, it's utterly foolishness, right? That's, that's to give away what's most precious about us, being made in the image of God into something else. That's the height of foolishness, to give our dignity away. And it's contrary to what? To wisdom. Uh, Paul puts it like this in the beginning of Romans, uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Uh, and so what happens when we worship God instead? Well, we become more and more human, more and more uh, like who God made us to be in his image, uh, because then we're being conformed into the true image, or as Paul would later state it in Romans, uh, this is from Romans 8, uh, 28 and 29, uh, and we know that for those who love God, uh, who we can say who worship God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, let me pause there. Do you have any questions or reflections before we move on? Any questions? Thoughts? That last line that you had mentioned made me think of <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1, verses 29 and 30 in regards to becoming what you worship. Mm -hmm. It says, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen, for you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark, and both of them shall be burnt together with none to quench them. And so it, in my mind, it's, yeah, like you said, if we worship that which is perishable, we will perish like it. Mm -hmm. If we wish to be imperishable, we must worship that which is imperishable. Right. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I mean, that, that's, that's foolishness, right? <laughs> that's foolishness. Um, to, to attach ourselves or to worship idols um, and, and perish along with them. Anybody else before I move on? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and mute everyone. Okay, so far, this has been about our response to the king, uh, right? Um, in uh, we have to obey him and we have to, to worship him. Uh, now let's turn our attention to our response to the king's kingdom. Uh, but first, I want you to see the connection between the two, between the king and his kingdom, because the two are ultimately tied together. We can't say we're committed to the king and not simultaneously be committed to his kingdom. Uh, listen to Psalm 145. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Right? God's kingdom is an expression of his power as king. Uh, Jesus himself prays, and we're going to be praying this, right? Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, it is God's will that his kingdom should be present here. And therefore, our allegiance to the king means also our allegiance to the kingdom, because that is his will. Uh, that's, that's why we believers have the great responsibility to reflect back to God his royal rule to those who belong in his kingdom. Uh, because we have been anointed to rule in service to the king. Uh, one writer says this, uh, the Christ whom God consecrates as messianic king has with him his own community to reign with him. Believers are themselves Christed uh, to share in the mess messianic kingdom. And so we rule with Christ presently, uh, but we reign with him not as lords over one another, but in mutual allegiance to one another. 
Uh, since we're running out of time, I'm going to skip this question. Um, I'm going to ask the question, but but I won't unmute every, everyone. Um, the question is, how do we rule in mutual allegiance to one another? Uh, in other words, how do we use our power and energy for the sake of King Jesus's kingdom? Well, we rightly use our strength in the kingdom by taking up our crosses for one another. Uh, think of what Christ did for us. His cross wasn't for himself. He carried the heavy load upon his shoulder and he hung upon it for you, for us. Uh, this is what Paul is getting at when he said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, notice the connection between fulfilling the obligation of our king, uh, the law of Christ, right, with bearing one another's burdens. Uh, that, that is um, embodied acts of good towards our neighbors. Uh, in other words, our obedience to the king is tied to our care for one another. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Uh, after all, this is, this is the essence of God's commands, to love him and one another. Uh, this is why um, bearing one another, another's burdens is the fulfillment of the law of Christ. Because bearing one another's burdens is an act of uh, love towards one another. Uh, elsewhere, Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Or how James puts it, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And, and so to close, uh, I think mutual allegiance looks like mutual sacrifice for one another because then we are acting in accordance with who god is as royal king he himself um, fulfilled the law by doing the law and so our love for one another um, expresses our allegiance to not only christ but to his kingdom Okay, I'll close with that. Does anybody have any final thoughts? Go ahead and unmute everyone. Yeah. Pastor Brian, I got a question for you. Yeah, yeah. You talked at the beginning about how the world misunderstands rule. Mm -hmm. How are we Christians? How do Christians tend to misunderstand God's rule? Does that make sense? Like, it's easy to kind of point to like pagan ideas, but what are perverted Christian ideas of rule? Hmm. I think it begins with a misunderstanding of who God is, right? Um, um, when we think of rule, we think of uh, oppression. And so when we think of God's rule, we, we, there's an overlap in, in our thoughts that God too is, is oppressing us. So we equate authority with, with somehow enslavement. I, I think that's one of them, but I'm sure there's many other way that we pervert 
uh, authority. But, but, you know, the Bible teaches us that authority that comes from God is actually for our good. What I thought of was <clears throat> maybe just, you know, on the tail of what you had said, mm -hmm. just as a point of reflection, um, it would be good to just think of, you know, whose burdens am I called to share? And am I fulfilling that duty well, I suppose? Like, are you thinking more in terms of the application of that? Like the application of it, yeah, yeah, where you drew your final point on fulfilling that the law of Christ, loving neighbor as self, yeah, laboring in the kingdom with each other, mm -hmm. whose burdens, you know, we sort of talked about this in the reading group, sort of identifying those who the Lord has put in our close proximity to pour ourselves out for you know we know our, our primary communities our families but there are others uh secondary to that that the lord has put in our lives for us to love and support and to mentor and to bear and i think just like you're saying as a point of reflection you know whose burdens am i called to share and am i sharing those yeah no, that's good you know it's kind of like a like an onion you it because you just gotta keep peeling uh peeling back right like starts with those closest to you and then and it goes outward brian also i think um one of the things we're reminded of over and over by the lord is that we are to love kindness righteousness and mercy he uh <clears throat> brings that up as we recall in jeremiah when uh, pastor brett was covering jeremiah jeremiah 9 um, he talks about what the Lord loves. And I think in kind of answer to that question, what we forget as Christians is that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Mm -hmm. And that's what he expects mm -hmm. of Christians. And I think sometimes um, we forget that. It, it's simple, it sounds, but we forget that as Christians. And so as kings, vice regents, and sons and daughters of Christ, that should be our focus. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's us reflecting who, who God is, right? His character to one another. Um, we can never bur uh, share in one another's burdens or carry one another's burdens uh, unless we are reflecting who the Lord is and his character for us.